Thank you so much, Hope Church. Truly, truly, I say thank you on um, multiple levels as I carefully move this table. Um, As Pastor Lance said, there is, and I knew it before I came here, there is a mandate on this house of God to be a place of healing. And I want to say thank you to all of you, even those who we haven't had a handshake or a conversation Thank you, Hope Church, because you have been an integral part of healing my heart. And um, God told me to come here to heal, and he has been faithful to do it through you. So thank you so much. And a special thank you to Pastor Lance and Mary Terrell for loving me and championing me and taking a risk on giving me a microphone beyond just singing a song. So, well, for those of you who serve on my teams, um, I have to honor you, so can you give me a woo-woo if you are a part of the creative arts department? One, two, three. Okay, but for like, for real, for real, for real. Like, we mean it for real. One, two, three. All right, I love you guys. This team wouldn't be a team if it was just me, so I'm really thankful for each and every one of you who serves passionately, faithfully, and follows me and some of my ideas. So I just appreciate you and may God bless you. So thankful for you, especially the people behind the scenes. You know, we don't always know that they're there until it goes wrong, but 99.9999999% of the time they're crushing it. So if you ever see somebody with a camera or floating around in the back, sometimes they intentionally hide in the back, but please appreciate them with me. I love you guys. I uh, actually received a gift from a team member this week, and it really blessed me. I'm not one for art. Usually I can appreciate, as a creative art director, I can appreciate the beauty in art, but um, this actually holds a lot of weight to me. This person texted me and said, hey, what's your favorite color? And I said, well, I may walk in the light, but I love black. I wear a lot of black. Sometimes white. My office theme has a little more green in it. I appreciate pinks, but blue, (laughs) you know? And so um, we had this short exchange, and then this painting showed up, and it's a painting incorporating blues and whites and blacks and the colors that I mentioned. And, And with it, he gave it to me and said, you know, I just really wanted to show you my gratitude. I'm just really thankful for you, and this means a lot to me, and you know, it's not about the fact that it's a painting, and it's titled Lightning, which I'm still waiting on the Holy Spirit to interpret for me, but the beauty of it is every time I see this painting, I see gratitude, and I'm so thankful for this, for this gift and the intentionality to incorporate something that I love to be a part of it. Um, so thank you, Jason, I appreciate it so much. But Joe and I have been coming here for a couple years. If you don't know Joe, he was playing the bass, which he does so skillfully, and leading our team this morning, so I could do this thing. But um, Joe and I have, we'll be celebrating five years in just about a week, so nice job. Uh, (laughs) We don't have kids yet, but if you ever talk to us, if you get the chance for like 30 seconds, um, you will hear about our pride and joy. This is Rolo and Ryla. Ryla's the little black one. There's, I know. kills me every time this this is what I come home to and it's my favorite but these are our kids for now one day 
God will bless us, and we're looking forward to that. But we've been married for just about five years. We dated for three before that, which in Christian culture is an eternity. Um, but it happens, and we're here, and um, it's been great. But I, I love learning. I love asking people, especially those who have gone before me, you know, what advice do you have? And, you know, what are some challenges that you faced in marriage? What are some wins that you had in marriage? What's beautiful about yours? What would you do different? All those. I love, I love to grow. I love to be challenged. And um, so I wanted to share with you, you know, five years has been great. We've learned a lot. Um, but one thing I have learned is the five love languages, all of them matter. You guys are familiar with five love languages? So there's um, acts of service, quality time, gifts, which I'll just show you again, gifts. Um, I'm a gift person. I love gifts, but if you don't take the time to have quality time and get to know me and then give me a gift and it's like, I would never, it's not, you know, gifts don't matter as much to me, but when they're intentional and they have things that I love, that kind of thing. Um, so gifts, quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, and physical touch are the, the five love languages. And, um, you know, in the five years that we've been married, it's been wonderful and we've grown a lot. We've been through some things and stuff, but it's been wonderful. And, but, not and, but, one of the hardest days of our marriage that we had in those first five years was the day when Joe came to me and he said, do you like me? And I, I was like, well, yeah. I mean, I'm here. <laughs> we did the thing. So I might like you like a little bit. But then he looked at me again and said, okay, well, do you think I'm handsome? Do you think I'm attractive? And I was like, well, yeah. You look great in black. I love black. Um, and then he said, well, do you appreciate me? Like, do you appreciate what I do for you? And I was like, man, in my head I'm going through, yeah, of course I do, and don't I show you? You know, and, and, and I ended up defending myself. Well, don't you know? Don't you know that I do? Like, I'm always making you dinner, doing your laundry. I, I buy you things, you know. You get really, he gets really excited about like sweet treats, especially if they're from Japan. So it's really, really easy to walk through a store and go, oh, that looks like Japanese writing. <laughs> Joe will love it. Here, it's a gummy bear of some kind. <laughs> Enjoy. It's easy. But Joe said, well, you've never told me. And like maybe you did once but you don't tell me you love me. You don't tell me that you think I'm handsome. You don't tell me that you appreciate me. And I, and I go, but I show you, but I think it, I think it often, and actually I've told other people, but I never told him. And you know, I heard before I got married that marriage is a mirror and you just find yourself looking at your spouse and then you end up seeing your reflection of how much you need to do better. And this was one of those moments where I looked at my husband and what was looking back at me was all the ways that I was not quite doing my best. Oh, but I, I did the dishes, I cleaned the house. I, yeah, but you never said. How would I know? How would he know if I never said, if I never expressed? Worship is also God's model of what it is to be married is also a model of Christ and the church. And I'm reminded of that daily, of even in this place of, you know, just do better, he's still there loving me graciously, steadfast, unconditionally, in spite of if I said anything or not. He is constant. And that reminds me so much of the love of Jesus, and that's what I am so thankful for. 
but just like the five love languages, not one outweighs the other, though I might be more gifted at one, it might come more naturally to me. All of them matter, all of them have power in our relationships, in our marriages, but I also matter to God. God defines relationship, he is relationship. In the beginning he created the world, but he didn't create himself, he just was. But who was he? He was God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. He is relationship. He is community. It is his nature. And then he made us in his image, in the image of community, in the image of relationship to expand his community so that his love could be experienced on a greater level. So if God is the creator of relationships, and he gave us these five love languages, he'd be the author of those five love languages. And if worship is a model, or if, if marriage is a model of the church's devotion to Christ, how do I express my love to God? When was the last time you even asked, hey God, how, how do you want me to love you? Am I doing okay? <laughs> am, I, am, I, am I doing it right? You know, I come to church and I serve at the school and I give, you know, I, I give 10% and stuff. Like, am I, am I doing it? When was the last time you asked him, do you feel loved by me? Just like my husband desires words of affirmation from his wife, God wants to hear from you. When was the last time you told God, I love you? I'm thankful for you. But let's pause and let's ask, how does God want to be loved? And he, the truth is he wants our worship. And many of you think, well, we just did it. And we did, wow, worship. You guys really brought a sound of worship today. And we'll talk about that. But worship is how we love God. Worship defined in the dictionary, if you will, is adoration or reverence expressed. It's expressed. It's not a thought, it's an expression. But how do we express our worship? And, and for some of you, it's like, well, if you're talking about making me sing again, <laughs> that's like super uncomfortable already and now we're talking about doing it again. No, it's not just that. And we're gonna dissect what that even is. Worship is adoration and reverence expressed. Jesus tells us to love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells us this is how we worship God. This is how we love him. But we're gonna take a look today at Hebrews 13, verse 15 through 16, which says, therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased can I tell you that worship doesn't depend on you like this isn't a mandate that you must worship no worship happens with or without us God was and he is and he is always but what also is is the heavenlies and what has been is worship ongoing praise ongoing exalting all going in the throne room worship for you is not a mandate it's not an obligation of participation. It's not even me sitting here say, okay, it's time to perform. It's time to do the things of worship. Worship is actually an invitation. It's an invitation 
to participate in the revelation of God's presence. You are invited to partake in the revelation of God's presence. He is in you. He is around you. We live, as Christians, we live in this really interesting, like, dual reality of Christ in us, but also, like, heaven somewhere. That's faith, right? Our faith is what brings us to this revelation of Christ and the belief that he is the Son of God and that God is real in the first place. And every Sunday, you have an opportunity to come, whether it's by expectation of your faith or expectation by, I must do this thing as a Christian. You have the opportunity to come to church where the worship team is going to be here saying, hey, God is real. God is real, God is good, God is here. And you're invited You're invited to see him. You're invited to know him. You're invited to step into the reality of his presence. And when we are there, my desire, oh, if you could only see the heart of your worship team, if you could only see the heart of this worship leader, that it's not just about what I'm singing. It's about, oh, if you only knew, because I know, I know, I give, I have given and dedicated my life to leading you people in worship because I have seen, I have seen the reality of God and it changed me and it shook me. It saved me, it redeemed me and it gave me confidence to stand again. But this, this is the reason I'm here is because I've seen it. And I want you to, I I live in the reality that God is real and I just want you to so badly to realize that when you step into this place, God is here and you don't have to sit on the sidelines and go, ooh, look at them worship. I have this hope that as I look to the heavenlies and as I say, I am in the throne room worshiping Jesus, come with me, come with me, come on, come on, come on, let's go. Come worship, come see, come know, come be in the presence. Come see him, come know him. It's about relationship, it's not about obligation. Again, he created you to know him. You are in his image, he is relationship, he is community, and the invitation is to be known and to be loved. So, how do we tell him we love him, we worship him, and Hebrews says, we offer up a sacrifice of praise. Praise is the English word that we see a multitude of times throughout scripture, but the Bible we know is translated into English, and where we see this word praise, it used to be in the language of Hebrew. So there's seven Hebrew words that have been translated to our one English word, but I wanna break it down because these are ways to express worship to God. The first one, and I don't speak Hebrew, so we're all gonna work together on sounding this out. Um, It's quite easy, actually. Number one is halal. Halal is the primary Hebrew root word for praise. Our word hallelujah comes from this. But it means to boast, to show, to rave, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish or crazy or exuberant. Ooh. Some of you are like, let's go! The Bible uses this worship, this word for worship over 150 times with just halal. Some examples would be Psalm 113, one through three, where it says, halal the Lord. Halal servants of the Lord, halal the name of the Lord. Psalm 151, halal the Lord, halal God in his sanctuary, halal him in his mighty expanse. Number two is Yadah the extending of the hands in thanksgiving. Yada is a verb. 
meaning to extend the hand, to worship him with the extension or the lifting of hands in thanksgiving. So this is not the words of your lips. This is an action. Already we're starting to see that participating in praise is not just singing a song. This is a full body experience. So yada, 2 Chronicles 20, 21, give thanks. So give yada to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Number three, tauda. This is a thanks offering. This one is very closely related to the hands, but this is a verbal thanksgiving. Pastor Lance led us in this in worship earlier. Give thanks, speak his name, thank him, praise him, thank him. Tauda. Psalm 50, 14, offer unto God tauda and pay the vows unto the Most High. Psalm 50, 23, whoso offers tauda glorifies him, and to him, wow, this is some ordereth, and I'm like adjusting on the fly. Uh, we don't do that New King James, if thou thy, so I'm just gonna skip that one. Uh, Psalms 50, 23, if you take notes, you can look it up and swap praise for tauda. Thank you, Jesus. All right, the next one, Shabak to shout, to address in a loud tone. We also expressed this earlier today. Psalm 47, one, oh, clap your hands, all peoples. Shabbat to the God with a voice of triumph, with a voice of joy. Number five, Barak, means to kneel down to bless God as an act of adoration or a salute. Psalm 95, six, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us barack before the Lord our God, our maker. Humility, reverence, adoration. Number six, zamar. This is one of our favorites. Uh, making music accompanied by strings. To pluck the strings of an instrument and to sing praise. This is a joint effort, but it definitely involves musicians. Psalm 57, eight through nine, awake my glory, awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises zamar to thee among the nations. And then seven, tehillah, the singing of halals. To sing or to laud, to perce it's perceived to involve music as we do when we gather together, especially the singing of hymns, or the singing of praise. Psalm 71, eight. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring the splendor all day long. You can even go to Psalm 104 where it puts a couple of these ideas together. To enter his gates with tauda and his courts with tehillah, give thanks to him, yada, bless his name. So can we question what it looks like to love our God? when there's so many examples expressed through the Hebrew word for praise. It is a full body engagement. It's a full body expression. If we go back to the Hebrews 13, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. We can't just think it. But worship is using both sides of our brain. What I love about the music side, what we do together when we sing all these songs and the band is awesome and you guys shout and stuff, what I love about that is it's using our full humanness, praise, worship, loving God is a full human expression experience. 
as we see through the words, there is how we posture ourselves, but also how we extol him, how we exhort him, how we thank him, how we speak the truth of his word and the kindness of God. It requires a sound. We're in this series called The Altered Life, and, and if I were to title it, my message, I would say it's a sound of worship, because it's not just kneeling. It's not just the lifting of hands. Tell him. Tell him. The beauty of getting to worship in the reality of the presence of God is that you will be in the presence of God. Psalm 22 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. It's a relationship, you know, and it's not a demand. It's an opportunity to come in and love the savior of your soul, to adore the creator of the universe, to revere the creator. What I think is beautiful about the fact that we do get to worship in song, especially on a Sunday morning when we come together like this, is there's so much benefit, not just on a soul level, not just on a relationship level, but on a physical level as well. You know, especially living in Montana, we have a lot of folk who say, well, I don't necessarily like go to church. I see God when I'm fishing, which you, you will, because creation is him. He is the creator, and there's splendor and beauty and wonder in the stars, in the mountains, in the rivers, in creation. I can't. There's so much. Um, he's so cool. So many details. But God is the creator of science, as well. And though we may stand in awe in the beauty of creation when we're outside, we're meant for relationship. And hence, here we all are. Here's the church, the body of Christ expressing God's relationship. I love this. That's a talk for another day. But there's value in coming together and singing as one. It's not just this idea of like, well, it is. It is the idea of like, this is what's happening in heaven. And we get to join in. We get to join in with a song that has been sung since the beginning of time as angels surround the throne and see the glory and sing holy, holy, holy because they see it every day. They're there, but we're in this reality where he's here and we know that one day we will be with him also joining the creatures in the heavenly places singing holy, 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 but what a gift. What a gift to be a part of that now today. Yes, but I digress. Science. God is the creator of science. There's physical benefits to coming together as one and singing and worshiping him together. Um, I recently read a study that was done by Oxford University and they were studying choirs. Shout out to all my choir nerds out there. I love choir. But what I think I love about it is the most on the days when I didn't want to go, I would go anyway. But I would leave with this like, you know, that was awesome. That was really fun. You know those harmonies we made? Like six parts? Wow. That was really cool. And then there's like that unison moment and the bass comes in and just... <laughs> Choir's really fun. If you're in high school, I encourage you to be a part of it because singing with a group and people doing the same thing together unifies you in that community because what actually happens, and this is what Oxford studies showed, is there's a release of some hormones that help you bond with one another, but it also produces joy hormones. 
So if you are feeling a little down in the dumps and you think that's the reason not to go to church, come. When you're feeling blue, when, you're, when your mind feels like a dark cloud that you can't see light through, come to church because science shows that when you come, you don't even have to sing. The fact that your neighbors are surrounding you with praise is going to not only encourage your soul, but it's going to help on a chemical level to release some of those endorphins that produce joy and unity. Joy and unity when we sing together on a chemical level. But not just that, there's actually studies that have shown that people singing in unison, their heart rates will start to align with their neighbors. Ooh. Talk about unity, singing as one. But not only that, brain waves, brain frequencies also start to come into unity. What power it is when the people of God come together. What power it is when we sing as one. Oh, God, you are worthy. That is so cool. It's so cool. What else I love about music and worship is this psychological phenomenon of recall. So many of you probably know your ABCs. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah, okay, that's good. Um, <laughs> you guys know your ABC so well because we were taught our alphabet to music, right? Paul and Silas were thrown in prison and what does it say that set them free? Their praise, their worship. I can bet they had a couple psalms tucked in their pocket with some melodies that said, you know, I know my God's not done. I know my God's faithful. I know my God's here because I've sang it before. I've sang it before. I know this melody. This tune is on repeat in my head. You know, and sometimes we will end church with another song just so when you walk out those doors, all you hear is, oh God, my God, I need you. On repeat. So whenever you're facing, when you leave, you just have that soundtrack in your mind recalling the truths of God. This is why I appreciate Schoolhouse Rock so much. <laughs> Like, I could read a history book and it's like, in, <laughs> gone. <laughs> but I could tell you, I'm just a bill. Yeah, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. I could tell you that because of the music that was behind the information. It's just like lodged in my memory. The mathematics one, like three, six, nine. 12, 15, 18, got me through the fourth grade. Like, I would have not survived if I couldn't count by threes to songs. And if you ever go back to your schoolhouse rock tapes, the figure eight one, if you skate, makes me cry. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Music. It's important because our bodies are designed for it. It's, we're made for it. And, and it's a beautiful thing that we can come in and, and, you know, the songs that we sing, it may look different than years before. You know, we may not recite the doxology or the Apostles' Creed, and we don't sing the hymns that we used to, but these words are still full of truth. We'll sing different types of songs. We'll sing songs of high praise. We'll sing songs recounting the faithfulness of God. And then today was very full of holy, holy, holy adoration and giving him just straight, your God. And that's crazy, you know? Ooh, I'm running out of time and stuff. But music is powerful. Worship's important. Coming together to sing is important. Your worship is your warfare. 
And it's more than you may think. You know, it's not just the idea of being sent out before the military on the battlefield in Jude. I don't remember. Jude, <laughs> you can correct me later again. Judges, judges. They were going to battle and they sent out the one guy that they knew is gonna worship and lead the way in praising God. And it's not just like, he's worthy and we're gonna die. Good luck, everybody. Go get him. No. He goes out on the battle line and he remembers, my God is mighty. My God, the creator of the universe is at my back and at my side. He's gone before me and his is the victory. And I'm not just here on the front line of my battle telling myself, I'm reminding my enemy, my God. Do you want to mess with this? Just say it. <laughs> Just say it. But the beauty of our worship is it brings truth to the forefront. And how we live in this dual reality of God is in heaven and God is in us is reminding ourselves of these truths and in, in song and in every season. And it's not just singing. It is the Psalms. It is the word. It's getting in it. It's getting it in you. Again, going back to Hebrews 13, there's a word in there that really stuck out to me. And the word is sacrifice. Sacrifice. You know, today, thankfully, we walk through these doors, coffee in hand, kids towing behind, smiles on our faces. Oh, it's so great to be at church. But we don't pass an altar covered in blood and burning flesh. In fact, you didn't even have to bring anything. You got dressed and you came. But the history of God's people was expensive. So we're talking about how to worship God, how to love him. The first mention of worship as a verb was in Genesis 22. If you're a note taker, especially because we're running, I could talk about this forever. We talked about it for like five hours, which resulted in a whole new series. Genesis 16 through 22, I encourage you to go read the whole thing. We're just gonna talk about a section, but the story is about a man named Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and their son, Isaac. Their son whom they prayed for, pleaded for, believed for, but God promised. And for like 90 years, she was 90 years old when this, when this promise came to pass. But Abraham had a relationship with God of God said, and I believe it, and he will. And he did. They blessed him with the son Isaac. But in Genesis 22, and I'm just gonna tell you some of the story. I encourage you to go read it because it's powerful and beautiful. But in Genesis 22, the son has been born and God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. And he says, I want you to take your son and I will show you a place. And at that place, I want you to take your son up to it and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Wow. Could you take 
that dream? Could you take that answered prayer? If God said, I've blessed you, I've proven faithful, my servant, I love you, will you do this for me, would you? Abraham prepares the offering, he cuts the wood, he loads up some men with him to help him carry the items over to this place that God showed him. And where we first see the word worship is in Genesis 22, verse five. No, Genesis 22, yes, verse five, where he says to the men who is carrying the items with him, wait here, we're gonna go up and we're gonna worship. Worship by sacrificing his son on a burning altar. And Abraham was gonna do it because he revered a holy God. I forgot to tell the first service the ending of the story, so I hope they go finish it on their own time, but you're gonna hear the ending of the story. The angel of the Lord interrupts the sacrifice. It's in process, the wood is burned, it's lit. His son is with him and he says, well, I see the altar, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, Abraham says, well, the Lord will provide. And Abraham knew it was Isaac. But then the angel of the Lord interrupts the sacrifice in Genesis 22:12 and says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. And this, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Our sacrifice is the expression of our reverence for God. But praise be to God that we don't have burning altars any longer. Jesus was the sacrifice on the altar that would restore you in relationship to God. Thank God. But I wonder what you bring when you come to worship. And I don't ask to provoke your performance. I ask as a posture of your heart, when you come to church, when you show up at work, when you go to your prayer closet, whatever it may be that you do in word or deed, is your worship sacrificial? And when you come into this place, what have you prepared to bring? Because sacrifice was not only modeled with Abraham and his son, and it was modeled again in the tabernacle of Moses after Moses led God's people out of Egypt. God went to, or he went to the mountain and he encountered God and God said, build me a place to abide. I wanna be with my people, but it's, it's a holy place. The, the presence of God is a holy place and therefore there needs to be a cleansing process for we are sinners. So there would be an altar at the front. And then there's David, King David, who loved God. And he then had the Ark of the Covenant in his city. And he said, well, the Ark needs a house 
to live in. He, he built a tent for the Ark of the Covenant, and he was the one who introduced musicians full-time into the tabernacle of God, worshiping and praising and doing this thing that we talked about of worship. But here we are today. The sacrifice is already taken care of. But what is your worship? What does it cost you to praise him? Because back then, sacrifice was expensive. Not only did they have to like select one of their livestock or doves, you know, there was different rules and things, but the idea was you would take your champion bloodline, stature, like any ranchers in here. Like I grew up around cattle and I could just think like, that bull, that one. Like he is the leader of our bloodline. He's the sustainer of our bloodline. And not only that, he's the sustainer of our livelihood. If we kill that one, the, no, God wants the best. But it costs them something. This is their livelihood on the line to honor God with what they had. It was expensive. But not only that, miles traveled, assets surrendered, their sacrifice was inconvenient. And like I said, today we no longer pass by a bloody altar of burning flesh. But there is flesh to be sacrificed at the threshold of our worship, and it's mine. I lay my, my preferences, my life, everything down when I come in to worship God. One of the most beautiful stories of worship and sacrifice is one that occurred right before Jesus died, and you can read it in a couple of accounts. One to refer to would be Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. So if you're a note taker, write it down. Luke 7, 36 through 50. And the story is right before Jesus was crucified, and it's, it's the Passover meal, and Jesus was invited to a home of a Pharisee. The Pharisee being Simon. Simon was a man who was healed of leprosy. And so Jesus is dining with them before he goes to the cross and partaking in this Passover meal. And there's a woman. And this woman hears Jesus is at Simon's house right now. Now, how many of you, you know, we know Jesus is coming again one day, but today he's in the heavenlies preparing a place he lives in a dual reality, right? But if I told you, no, Jesus currently, right now, this day, you're Jesus, the one that we're worshiping, the one that you want to have a relationship with, the one that wants to have a relationship with you, he lives on the 20th story of a high-rise apartment in New York City on 7th Avenue. Bro, I'm going. I'm like, going. I don't care if I'm invited. I don't care if he's expecting me. I'm going to New York City because my Jesus is there in the 20th story of a high-rise apartment, and I want to see him. I just want to tell him thank you. I just want to tell him how much he means to me. I just want to tell him, God, I don't even know where I would be without you and your sacrifice on the cross because I was in a pit of despair and destruction and loneliness and self-loathing, and I thought my life was over, but then you said my name. Oh, Jesus, if you're here, let me see you. Let me find you. There's desperation in the revelation. 
I gotta get to the feet of Jesus. And this was the posture of this woman. She was known as a sinner in the community. Simon, who was healed of leprosy, saw this woman enter his home. She entered the home and she came behind Jesus, not even to his face. Luke says she came behind Jesus and knelt down at his feet, tears flooding her face. She hovered over his feet and the tears fell. As they soaked them, she took her hair and wiped them clean. And then she reached for a jar, a fine perfume. This perfume is said to be her inheritance, something of great, great value. She had nothing, she was nothing in the society of the time. She was nothing, but she brought the one thing that she had, herself, her tears of revelation. Jesus, my Messiah, my one hope for redemption is in the house of Simon and I will go and I will bring everything I have. And she poured out this perfume on his feet. It was costly, it was expensive. Not only that, it was embarrassing. People knew her as the sinner. Simon said, who, if you even knew who this woman was, you wouldn't let her near you. Who is Simon to say? Simon used to be the untouchable, he was a leper. But then she comes in with humility. Oh God, if this is my Messiah, let me worship. Let me worship with abandon. I don't care who's in the room who sees me. They know, they're Pharisees, they know all the law. They know how, they know how to, you know, worship and what's that. I'm just a sinner. But that's my savior. And I will risk everything to worship him. I know where he is, and so I must go and I will give everything. One of the things that scared me the most in my time being a part of church and church staffs and serving and leading is I, I love Jesus. I wouldn't be here without him. I wouldn't do this without knowing him. I wouldn't do it without my love and my passion. But I'm really good at doing. And I read this verse, the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name we drove out demons, and in your name we performed miracles. And Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. We can show up to church on a Sunday, listen to the songs and even sing them and miss it. We can serve, we can tithe, we can show up, we can say the right things, we can quote the right things, but worship is personal. Worship is relational and it must be yours. It must be in the spirit and in truth. It must be from your heart. It must be genuine. God is not 
looking for the worship team to come be dancing performers for him. Because we can continue, we can play skillfully, we can sing skillfully, we can boast and proclaim he is good, and it's true, so it works. But if I don't love him, myself, it's empty. He longs to know you, that's why you are here. He wants to be in relationship with you, and he will continue to love and continue to pour himself out for you and you have the opportunity to respond. So as I said before, this, not is, this is not me trying to provoke a performance out of you next Sunday when we lead worship and do this thing again. I'm not looking for a performance. But I want to encourage, as a fellow lover of Jesus, is for you to ask, God, how can I love you? How do I love you? Teach me, show me. Not out of obligation, but God, I've seen, I've seen your goodness, I've seen your faithfulness, and I have to tell you. So let me start. God, I love you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. I want to invite you to stand. And again, this is an opportunity, this is an invitation. This is not a demand. God does not demand your worship, but he welcomes your gratitude. And oh, what joy he finds when you worship him. Just like a father who gives good things to his kids, maybe it's a desire to get a thank you. It's a desire to have a response from those who are grateful. But what a joy to hear that you are. So God, I just thank you for the people of Hope Church, the people online, the people in this room, and the people watching at another time. Lord, I thank you for their willingness to even ask the question, Lord, how can I worship you? How can I love you? And God, they're probably doing better than they think you are. They think that they are. But Lord, if there's anything in us that we are holding back, would you pinpoint it right now? God, you deserve all of my praise, a full body expression of adoration and love. I will sacrifice my comfort. I will sacrifice embarrassment from those in the room. God, if it is to dance, let me dance with joy. Let me dance with exuberance. If it is to shout, God, unhinge this voice, open this mouth and let your glory shine through my praise. Oh God, you're worthy. You are worthy. So I ask you, even now, do you need to respond? However it looks like, your worship is yours, only you know what you have to bring. But don't bring him that which costs you nothing. He is worthy. He is worthy.